So we're going to start off the sermon, and I'm going to throw out two questions to you. And just so you know, when you hear these questions, we're going in the deep end of the pool right away. All right, we're going to start swimming in God's word, and God's going to challenge you. And, And here are those questions. What are you not doing that you know that you should? Who are you not helping that you know that you could? God has uniquely positioned you. He has. God has uniquely positioned you to do, to help, to serve, to give. And when God places you there, he expects that you trust him as God and step forward in faith and faithfulness. What are you not doing that you know that you should? Who are you not helping that you know that you could? God expects you to love at any cost. Love without counting the cost. And you might be saying, okay, I really wish Matt was here right now. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> That's pretty heavy, pretty fast there, preacher man. Slow down here a little bit. How could, how could you ask that of us? Well, I'm not. God is. Okay, well then how could God ask that of us? Well, there's a couple reasons why. Here, here's the first. It's exactly what God does for you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He thinks the absolute world of you. So much so that he left heaven with all the angels and all the glory and all the splendor to come down to this world that we broke. And he knew that ahead of time. He thinks the world of you. And so he came to this world for you. And and Jesus, because he knows that you sin, Jesus, because he knows that you struggle, that's why he came. And he doesn't count the cost. He stared at that cross. He didn't go, yeah, ooh, that looks really painful. (laughs) He didn't count the cost. He stepped forward for you. Why? Because he knew that he was uniquely positioned to be the one to save you and to love you. And when you and I sin and mess up as we do, and maybe you've done the big one of a sin, God didn't look at that and go, man, that was really, really bad. I'm going to count the cost. I'm not going to forgive you. No, he doesn't do that. Or you and I, if we struggle and we fall into sin and we fall into sin and we fall into sin, God doesn't go, well, I've counted up how many times you've done that. And I'm not going to forgive you now. No, God doesn't do that for you. He doesn't count the cost. Then God also says he's laid in advance for you things to do. And God says, if you do those, you'll be blessed through them. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are to be God's using us to be the answer of prayer to other people. The human connect to someone who's struggling to verbalize to them the power, the love, the grace of God. And God at times positions you to be the one who doesn't count the cost. It says, God, I'm gonna step out and trust even though this makes me uncomfortable. What is it? What are you not doing that you know that you should? Who are you not helping that you know that you could? As I thought about this truth that God wants us and positions us to do, my heart, my mind was instantly drawn into the story, this incredible story in the Bible of the book of Esther. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to hang out with Esther and learn a lot more about this. Now, this is maybe unfamiliar territory for a lot of us. Like, when was the last time you heard a sermon on Esther? Some of you shaking your heads right now going, I, 
I don't know that I have. Or when was the last time you read the book of Esther? No one, right? Yeah, so this is unfamiliar for us, which means this is gonna be fun. Like, I'm gonna tell you this unique story of this faithful person positioned by God to step out in trust. And now, as I tell you the story, uh, about two-thirds-ish of the story is gonna, or the sermon is gonna be me telling you the story in a kind of fun, unique way. And as you listen to Esther's story, here's my challenge. I want you to listen closely and hear how God uniquely positioned Esther to be the one, positioned her to be the one to step out in service. And by the way, when she does, and if she does, it's going to cost her. And God says, I want you to love Esther without counting the cost at any cost. But as you hear Esther's story, I want you to think of your own. I want you to think back to what it is you're not doing that you know that you could or who you aren't helping that you know that you should and be challenged by God to step out in faith and faithfulness. All right, story of Esther, are you ready? It's a good one. <laughs> All right, now who in the world is Esther? So Esther clearly is a Bible book written. Uh, you see on the screen right now about 470 or so BC, she lived on this earth. And Esther's family was part of the diaspora. Oh boy, what does that mean? All right, so the diaspora. So when a conquering nation came in and conquered a people, typically what they would do is they would slaughter all the leaders. And so what, uh, let's, let's make this personal to us for a little bit. All right, so let's say you are all citizens of North Crosslandia, okay? And the third of the church over here, you are the leaders of North Crosslandia. You are the doctors, you're the lawyers, you're the military personnel, you're the astrologers and astronomers, you're the bankers, you're the politicians, you're the leaders. And then I'm gonna hang out with you over here. We're the commoners. We're the hoi polloi. Now, you know why I'm hanging out with you? Because normally when a conquering people comes in and conquers a nation, guess what happens to them? Yeah, they're dead, they're gone, right? So good to be the commoners over here. Now the Israelite nation got conquered. And they got conquered by this guy here. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. You can spell check that in your mind. There you go. And he was the king of Babylon. And the Babylonians came in and they conquered not North Crosslandia, but they conquered the people of Israel. Now, Nebuchadnezzar did things differently. Rather than slaughtering the leaders over here and then just making the commoners pay tribute back to him, he did things differently. What he did, he said, why would I kill off all you fine people? I want to learn from you. And so he gathered up the leaders and brought them into Babylon to learn from the bankers, to learn from the military personnel, to learn different techniques from the doctors and to learn science things from the people who study that. It was actually kind of a brilliant thing. And they were pseudo slaves, okay? What that means is they were, Slaves in the fact that they weren't in Israel anymore, but they weren't in hard labor camps. Like the people that he brought in the diaspora, the dispersing of, they came into his country, they had homes and gardens, and as Babylon got stronger, their lives got better. Now, Esther's family was part of the diaspora. So they are over now in Babylon. And as kingdoms rise and as kingdoms fall, guess what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar? He gets conquered. 
The new guy comes in and it is Xerxes. Xerxes of Rolodex of your ancient history. So you're like, yeah, don't call on me. I know you're a teacher, but don't call on me. All of a sudden the eye contact's dropping just like in the classroom. All right, this is of Persia. King Xerxes of Persia. So let's make Nebuchadnezzar go away because he does the normal way of just killing off people. Now, when Xerxes wins, he becomes the most powerful man in the entire world. And he decides, I've made it. I need to party. I I need to celebrate. So King Xerxes gathers together his high-ranking officials, his college drinking buddies, and he throws a party a party almost to end all parties. And the goal of this party is he's going to parade in front of all of these high nobles and high officials, all of his wealth. You know how long the party was? The Bible says his party of his wealth lasted 180 days. If you paraded your wealth in front of us, how long would it last? Couple hours. All right, you're doing well. Hey, no, you're doing good, right? Could you, right? Could you imagine 180 days? Uh, that's that's quite quite impressive, and not surprisingly, during a 180 day long party, people got drunk. I'm sure a lot of people got drunk. Um, so Xerxes gets drunk, and all of a sudden he starts bragging. He's like, "My wife Vashti, she's so pretty." He's going on and going on, and he goes, "Wait a second." Why am I bragging about how beautiful my wife is? I can, I can make her come down here. Kind of treat her like a thing and parade her in front of the boys to dance and show off how beautiful she is. So he sends a, white, uh, a message to Vashti. Hey, babe, do you remember that, that dress you wore to Glamour Shots at the mall? <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, right? <laughs> um, come down here, come down here and dance to the boys. I told them how beautiful you are. And for reasons completely unknown to us, she said no. Shocker, right? It's a history mystery. She said no. Wait a second, she said no. In that day and age, in that culture, you did not say no to your husband. In that day and age, in that culture, you did not say no to your husband, especially when your husband was king. In that day and age, in that culture, you did not say no to your husband, especially when your husband was king, and certainly not when your husband, the king, is the most powerful king in the entire world. In that day and age, in that culture, you did not say no to your husband, and especially not if your husband was king, and certainly not if he was the most powerful king in the world, and absolutely not if he is in front of all of his highest-ranking officials, Vashti, disrespected the most powerful man on the planet. Now, in that room are all these high officials and they go, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, Vashti is setting an example for all the women in the kingdom. We can't have the women in the kingdom learning that they can say no to our drunken requests. And they go, we gotta fix this. We gotta do something about this. And so they banish her stripper of her royalness and they send her out outside of the kingdom and Vashti's gone. Now, Xerxes, as you know, very proud of himself and of his position and now he's single and you can't be the most powerful man in the world and be single. Uh, King Xerxes' minivan looks like this. (laughs) 
And he's like, I got to fix this, right? <laughs> All right, let's have that go off there. <laughs> So King Xerxes goes, I got to fix this. And so he sends messengers out into the kingdom to find the most beautiful of all the virgins to come in and to vie to possibly be queen. And as these messengers go out in the kingdom, guess who's one of the people that's found? Esther. I heard the whispers. Yeah. So Esther, Esther shows up. Now Esther is one of actually a couple hundred ladies that were picked. The Bible says that they were put through a year-long beautification process. They're already the most beautiful in the land, and they have a year-long beautification process, and they're taught how to be regal and queen-like during that time. And the Bible says they all get one night with the king. I'll let you guess what that was probably all about. Now, it's a weird reality show, isn't it? (laughs) It's like the, the Miss Universe meets The Bachelor, right? So this weird thing is going on, and at the end of the entire year-long process, guess who Xerxes picks? Esther. Now suddenly Esther is, is queen. Now, back to the one night with the king, we have no reason at all to believe that Esther did anything physical with the king. The Bible says that she was a God-fearing person and God-pleasing person, so we suspect that she played hard to get. Either way, God says that he made the heart of Xerxes fall madly in love with Esther, so she becomes queen. Now, we learn at this point that Esther's parents have passed away. We don't know a lot of the details, but she is cared for by a name of Mordecai. This is how you can spell Mordecai. And Mordecai warns Esther, remember you're a pseudo-slave, even though you're queen. Don't let anyone know that you are of the Jewish faith. Don't let, keep that under wraps. And Mordecai is hanging out. He, though, because he's a low position, he still freely worships the Lord. One day, Mordecai ends up finding out about an assassination plot against King Xerxes. He goes and tells Esther. Esther tells King Xerxes. Xerxes researches it and finds out, sure enough, those dudes were trying to kill me. And they end up dying. And now King Xerxes loves Mordecai because Mordecai saved his life. And that's the end of chapter two. (laughs) Now, at the end of chapter two, everything's going pretty well, right? It's pretty great. Uh, Esther goes from being pseudo-slave to the most powerful woman on the planet. Mordecai goes goes from being pseudo-slave to being highly loved and favored by the most powerful man on the planet. Everything is going great. Then life happens. And you know what that's like. You do. Where you can be serving and dedicated to God and doing everything you can to block out the bad and just be good and love God and serve God. And all of a sudden, sometimes life can just drop kick you in the face, right? And see, that's what happens here to Esther and to Mordecai, chapter three. Well, what happens in chapter three? Well, in chapter three, this guy shows up, Haman, and he is this high-ranking Persian official, very proud of his position. And according to Persian rule, any time a high-ranking official goes by, all the people must kneel and bow down and grovel before. And as Haman goes by, all the people kneel and bow down and grovel before with the exception of Mordecai. Mordecai refuses. He just stands there. I'm not sure if it's defiant or if it's trying to be respectful. Either way, he's standing. 
And Hammond zeroes in on him and says, what's going on with that guy right there? He finds out that Mordecai won't kneel down because he's a believer, he's a Jewish guy who believes only in the Lord and won't kneel for Hammond. Hammond gets so upset about this, he said, I'm not just content in killing Mordecai, I want to kill all the Jews. I won't let anyone disrespect me. So Hammond goes to Xerxes, and he says, oh, great, Xerxes, powerful and benevolent, blah, 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 pleasantries, pleasantries, pleasantries. We got a problem. There's these people that are out there who are defiant against me, which means they're defiant against you. They're going to be a problem. Let's kill them. Xerxes signs into law that every single Jewish person on one certain day, all of them can be killed and murdered. And he signs into the law that can't be changed. Terrifying. Now, Mordecai has the, a, a unique ability to kind of hear what's going on in the streets. Mordecai hears word about this plot, this plan signed into law, all the Jews to die. So Mordecai goes, I know what to do. Last time I heard about an assassination plot, I told Esther, she told the king. So Mordecai goes, well, then I'll just counter this. I'll go to Esther, she'll go to the king, and then we'll stop this whole thing because it's pretty terrifying. It's pretty scary. What was the deal with the killing of the Jews? All right, so I can't quite see who's in the sound booth right now, but um, let's, it's the bright light here. So let's say that you are Persian, all right? I, I don't know much about you besides you make great rugs, okay? Now, if he's Persian and we're living back then and I'm Jewish, on that one certain day, you could kill me, my wife, our kids, and everything that's ours is his. My house, my land, my household items, the bank account money that I have with the bankers, anything and everything that's mine is his, sanctioned by the government. That, that is a good deal if you're Persian. That's a terrible problem if you're Jewish, right? And so the people were gearing up, ready to kill. So that's why Mordecai goes to Esther. Now, this is what God's word says. Mordecai told him, the him is a messenger. Remember, Esther couldn't tell anyone that she was Jewish, so a messenger is a going between. Mordecai told him everything that had happened for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a, a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, and he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence and to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Esther hears this, and she gets this, pit in her stomach. You know the pit in your stomach you get when you know you should do something, but you're terrified? That's what Esther's feeling. It might have been when I started this message and I said, what are you not doing that you know that you should? Who are you not helping that you know that you could? And something hit your heart. And, and maybe then you got this pit, this, this hit in your stomach and you're like, I, I don't know that I want to do that. It's, it's too hard. That pit, that's what Esther's feeling right now. So she sends back a message over to Mordecai, and, and here it is. She says, Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know. In other words, Mordecai, everyone knows what you're really asking. You should know, Mordecai, what you're really asking of me. And this is what it is. 
that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold or scepter to them and spares their lives. Now, Esther's hearing this and she says, I can't. I, I can't step out into that. If, if I do this, I will die. So there's that. <laughs> and Mordecai goes, but you're queen. Come on, he loves you. He picked you. Uh, you're queen. But Esther says, Mordecai, do you know the reason why I'm king? Or sorry, why I'm queen? I, I'm queen. I'm queen because the last queen didn't know her place. <laughs> The last queen disrespected the king in front of his high-ranking officials. You're telling me to go to the inner court without being summoned and disrespect the king. He's got a history of getting rid of the queens who disrespect him. The last queen got banished. I'm going to be put to death. Mordecai, I can't do it. And there's one more thing, and it's this. Sends the message back, Mordecai, but 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Mordecai, I know my husband, he is a man with physical needs and wants, and it has been 30 days since I have been called in to see him and to meet him. Mordecai, what you're asking is way too much. I'm guessing there's another woman who's already warming his bed, and I'm already on the outs. You're giving him every reason to end my life. Mordecai, what you're asking is way, it is way too much. And when you and I listen to her reasonings, they're very what? They're very valid. And so are yours. And so are yours. What are you not doing that you know that you should Who are you not helping that you know that you could? And the reason why you haven't done that yet, the reason why, even though God has uniquely positioned you to be the one who steps out, the reason you haven't yet is because you've counted the cost and your reasonings of counting the cost, they're pretty valid. It could cost you a friendship. It could cost you maybe your job. It could cost you a lot of time that you don't have. It could cost you whatever it is that is holding you back. And that's where Esther is at this moment. And she's fearful. Now, as we continue on here, Mordecai sends a message back to Esther. And he says this, hey, Esther, think about this. Just think about this for a second. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Esther, there are people who want your position. They're going to know that you're Jewish. You are going to die as well. And then he turns positive and he says this. He says, and and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther, God has uniquely positioned you to be the one. And I didn't record it here, but Mordecai says, if you don't do it, God will bring deliverance some other place. God's gonna fulfill his promise. God's going to deliver because that's what he does. But you've come. I I underline this word come because it's in the the passive voice. Not to get nerdy on you, but I'm going to. (laughs) Passive voice, that means you're passive. The action comes from another place. And what Mordecai is telling her, even the grammar here, of the Hebrew is saying, 
Esther, you did nothing to be here. God put you here for such a time as this. Esther, you had nothing to do with, with Vashti standing on her own values and saying no. You had nothing to do with that. Esther, you had nothing to do with the messengers that went anywhere out into the kingdom that they happened of all the places to go to go right into your city, into your village. You had nothing to do with that. And yeah, you're pretty, so you got picked, but who made you pretty? God. And then you happen to get picked of, of, there's crazy amounts of pretty girls all throughout the land. What if you were sick that day? What if you were busy and gone that day? God brought you for such a time as this. And then Esther, you came into this harem of women and why did God have you be picked versus all the others? They were all great candidates, but God picked you. God has positioned you. You've come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther, Mordecai is saying, just step out and trust and let God be God. God has also called you. God has brought you. You want to go to the next slide here? You have come to where you are for such a time as this. Why is it that of all the people of all the planet that God would chose you and love you, but he does? God saw you and said, I, I have to have you. I, I want you to be part of my kingdom, be part of my family. Why that you would be here in this church or, or online and listening in and growing in your faith. Why? Well, God, God loves you. And he shouldn't. Well, what does God's word say? Your iniquities have, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. God should want nothing to do with you. But you know why he does? Jesus in heaven, looking down to you and the broken planet that is here. And Jesus knows I, I'm the one. I've been uniquely positioned. I've been uniquely called of the Godhead to be the one to step down into this world to go and to rescue you. And Jesus did not count the cost he didn't. He said, you're, you're way too precious to not go. To leave heaven, to come to earth, to have all of the frailties of the human flesh to be upon him, um, and to have the, the temptations of devil constantly being after him, the people that should adore him, jeering him and going after him. And yet he saw you as being valuable. And as Jesus is standing before that cross and seeing that cross, he didn't count the cost and say that it's too much. He went to that cross and think, just listen, listen to the words of Jesus for a second. When Jesus is on the cross, right before he dies, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He is, he's trusting that this plan is gonna work. God is going to die Will he come back? He's trusting the Father that the plan will, but does he say that's too much? No. He steps out in trust. Mordecai is asking Esther to do the same. And because Jesus went through this, if you go to the next slide here, 
What does that mean for us? He does not treat us then as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. There's that word again, that God has washed them clean, that you are free and forgiven and loved. And now God calls you, he positions you, he plans for you to be his hands and feet and to step out in boldness and trust. Just like Esther's position. So what happens? Well, here we go. Mordecai encouraged Esther, Esther go to the king. And then eventually Esther prays about it. She's nervous, but she's confident. And she says this, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And now I'm going to let you read the rest of the book of Esther to find out what happened. (laughs) No, I heard. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I won't do that to you. So Esther realizes I'm positioned. She steps out in boldness and trust. The king says, hey, babe, Um, I'm paraphrasing again. And he puts the golden scepter down, spares her life, finds out about this evil plan of Haman and how he duped the king. And Haman ends up dying. The evil guy got what he had coming to him. And so did the evil one, the devil, who came after you because he ain't nothing compared to your God who loves you, who adores you, who cherishes you. Friends, you are loved and you are cherished by God and you have been positioned to do amazing things in the name of the Lord, love without counting the cost. Or as Jesus put it this way, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you say, I, gotta, I wanna stay here and I don't wanna do that, you're losing out on blessings. You're losing out on, on joy and you continue to cherish this world and not God, you could even lose faith. But then he says, whoever loses their life for me, even if that's what God calls you to do and for the gospel, you'll save it. God challenges you. Step out in faith. Friends, you've come to a position for such a time as this to be the hands, to be the feet of Jesus. May we be bold like Esther to trust God, to step out before him and simply let God be God. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you. I thank you for these people here at North Cross, those in person, those online, those who desire their hearts, Lord, to be connected to you. They they know how much you love them. They see it in their lives and they, they feel that joy, that peace, that forgiveness. God, embolden them, embolden me. Way too often the devil steps in and he interrupts that stepping forward in faith. Lord, give us boldness and strength to know that you are God and to know that you will bless us and guide us. Nothing is impossible for you. You showed that on the cross. You showed that on the empty tomb. You've shown that in the history of our lives we stepped out. And now I pray, Lord, that you embolden us today to step out again in faith. Bless our works dedicated to you, God. And may they bring the fruitful results that you, God, have planned, not to our glory, but to yours. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen.